Hello and welcome to the Keep It Local Maine podcast, where we tell the stories of local business owners and Maine residents and learn more about what they do, who and what inspires them, their challenges, successes, and more. My name is Todd Regalinski. And I am Kimberly Regalinski. And we are the publishers of Keep It Local Maine, a local magazine that helps showcase local businesses to the people in and around their communities. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast that you can subscribe to on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can learn more about us at keepitlocalmaine.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through the links in the show notes. This episode is sponsored by Fabian Oil, a family-owned and operated business that offers heating oil and propane delivery services and repairs. Fabian has been serving central and northern Maine with propane and oil for over 30 years. As a local Maine business, they cherish the relationships they have formed by serving the people of their communities. In 2019, Fabian entered the southern Maine region with a heating oil acquisition, and they have recently brought propane to the market. They are aggressive and would love to be your supplier. Give them a call at 207-793-2044 or visit fabianoil.com. In this episode, we'll be talking with chef and entrepreneur Cherie Scott. Mumbai native Cherie Scott left India at the age of 16 and moved to Vancouver, British Columbia. With a few stops in New York City and New Jersey, Cherie has been anchored in Booth Bay, Maine for over a decade. She currently writes for her own culinary blog, curates classes on regional Indian cuisine for Stonewall Kitchen, hosts her own podcast, and has recently launched her own signature line of gourmet Indian simmer sauces that are handcrafted here in Maine. Welcome to the show, Cherie. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I am so thrilled to be here with you both. I I can't tell you how excited I am to be on the podcast, and uh, thanks for having me. We're so excited to learn more about you and just um, your story. So you you really have a unique story of growing up in Mumbai and then coming to Maine via New York, Canada, and New Jersey. Can you share what your brand Mumbai to Maine and is and really how it got started? Absolutely. Um, so... I left Mumbai when I was 16, actually, and I moved to Vancouver, Mm -hmm. B.C. with my family. Um, We literally just packed up our entire lives in 12 suitcases and landed there. And so Mm -hmm. that sort of journey I've had all the way from Mumbai to Vancouver, to New York City, to New Jersey, and here to my new home here in Maine really marks that trajectory. And it's kind of what um, sort of fueled um, this nostalgia that is deep sort of aching feeling that I had for wanting to go back home. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's interesting when people say, you know, when you eat a certain food from your childhood, right, it, it will literally like transport you um, mm. emotionally, viscerally back to your childhood. And there mm-hmm. is so much truth in that. And I have to tell you, that's essentially where Mumbai to Maine sort of evolved out of, you know, that moment of feeling like, even though I was in such a beautiful state with the most incredible people, uh, the most embracing and loving community here in Booth Bay, I still felt really sort of alone in my Indianness. I don't know if that's even a word, but, uh, you know, in my identity, I just felt like, wow, there's really, I don't, I know there's other Indians here in Maine, but I just don't see them. I don't have a community here in this state. I don't feel like I can talk to anybody about Indian food um, here in Maine. And so I started my own community. I felt like being able to start my blog, uh, which is kind of where it all started, would be a way for me to sort of express myself, to learn about my childhood through my Indian food and recipes that my mom made for us. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, it sort of created this traction where I felt like there were other people who were just like me, but in various different parts of the world, not just in Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, you know, it sort of picked up and, uh, and yeah, and it, it kind of spurred from there. And so it, it eventually it led into, you know, where we are today with a simmer sauce mm-hmm. brand. Um, but I'm happy to share that story if you like, but it, that's kind of how it all started. That's amazing. That is such a, uh, I think I just find that very kind of encouraging, inspiring that, you know, mm-hmm. if you, if the, if you don't think there's a community there, or you don't see one right away, start working on creating one mm. mm-hmm. and, and, and find it that way and, and kind of be the thing that people are attracted to or can kind of build with you. That's, that's such a great idea and a, and a great way to do it. Thank you, Todd. I I could not agree more. Um, And that's kind of what you've done with your podcast as well, right? You're giving sort of this local community of entrepreneurs, um, makers, craftsmen, you know, all these business people a chance to come here and be a part of Keep It Local um, and share their their inspiration, their stories, um, their wins, their losses, their lessons learned. And mm. and you've created a community um, and you've created this platform, right? So I felt mm. the same way. I felt like, you know, sometimes it's so easy to sit back and say, well, I'm all alone mm-hmm. here in Maine. There's nobody that looks my, like me. At least I don't feel like there is. And so, you know, I'm just going to sit here and feel sorry about it. Or you can say, well, maybe if I'm the first one to go and put something out there, um, there'll be others like me and like a magnet, they'll all be attracted to whatever it is I'm putting out, this energy, this creative mm-hmm. sort of bubble worth of, you know, storytelling and narrative and, you know, talking about my journey. And whether you're Indian or not, at the end of the day, if you're an immigrant and you're in Maine and mm. or you're new to this state and you feel like you're not an immigrant but you're just new to the state you're going to feel a sense of belonging when you feel that there's mm. others who are going through that same journey um in their own way mm. Mm. so yeah. I, I i just want to ask this so growing up you know obviously you did a lot of cooking i i love food and i love hearing about food i love hearing about recipes was there a, was there a specific you know family dish that was just you know one of those dishes that you just cooked together that was just one of those staples that um, kind of brought the whole family together? So I laugh when you say this because um, I really didn't do any cooking growing up. Um, I honestly didn't learn how to make my my first Indian dish until I was about thirty. Four, I think 32 or 34. I can't even mark the time. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, honestly, it was all me stealing the meats from my mother's kitchen um, <laughs> and yeah. all the prep. And, uh, <laughs> I, I was a nuisance in her kitchen. I was not actually allowed in there because she knew if I came around, it was like I was sniffing for, you know, potatoes that had just come out of, you know, ghee and were perfectly crisp on the outside and yet not completely cooked on the Mm. inside, ready to go into this gorgeous, beautiful lamb dish that she was going to cook for the next two hours. And so, you know, it was like I I learned to cook through my senses, not through actually Mm. doing it. And I didn't even realize I was was doing that um, until, of course, I was 30-something and I realized, wow, I'm actually – Able to cook because I know what it's supposed to smell like. I know what it's supposed to look Mm. like. I know what it's supposed to taste like. And Mm. um, with all of that, I felt like those were my checks and balances. And so what I had to learn was method. 
And that's why I feel like, honestly, when I'm teaching um, a cooking class, for example, I can feel what they're feeling. I- I've been there. Mm-hmm. I've been there on the other side where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm completely overwhelmed with too many spices. I don't know what to do mm-hmm. with them. The whole methodology of cooking Indian food is so intimidating. I- it's not accessible. And so mm-hmm. basically what you do is you pick up the phone and you call for takeout and you call it a night, right? <laughs> and you get, you get your Indian fix. And I've been there for many, many years because I didn't want to get involved with what spices do I buy? Where do I buy them? I mean, now the world's different mm-hmm. with online stores, you know, at your fingertips. But 20 years ago, when I first came here, like, you know, when I was in the States, there wasn't anything like that. If you wanted Indian spices, you had to find a really sort of earthy, you know, health food store and go in the very back corner and ask mm-hmm. for it and hope they had something, <laughs> right? But right. like now you right. can you can literally have it all delivered to your door next day. So things have changed. Um, But yeah, to answer your question, there was a special dish. There were actually many special dishes. But the one that really um, sort of tugged at my heartstrings was this special dish my mom made, which actually inspired my brand uh, of sauces. It's called Kaldine, and um, Mm -hmm. it's spelled C-A-L-D-I-N-E. And it's Mm -hmm. a Portuguese-inspired dish. Now, you're probably trying to understand what is Portuguese, she's Indian, how is this all coming together? And essentially what Mm -hmm. happened was my family history um, and ancestry is from Goa, and Goa is on the west coast of India. And Mm -hmm. it's right on the, you know, on the beach, right? It's fully accessible to uh, people to come by, by sea. And so it got sort of influxed with Portuguese traders um, in the Mm. 1500s and, you know, explorers who would come to India and just absolutely fall in love with all the spices and take them back and trade. Um, And Mm -hmm. so what they left for us was their architecture, um, some of their music, their dialect kind of went into Indian and sort of became Konkani, which is this dialect we have in Goa. But they left behind these beautiful spices as well, Mm. like what stuff that they brought. And so what ended up happening was my parents had this very strong Portuguese Indian background. We still do. Um, Mm -hmm. And when we moved to Mumbai, and I never lived in Goa, but when we lived in Mumbai, that was my mother's way of channeling her childhood. I don't think she ever expressed that to us. But now when I think about it, I'm like, that's probably what she ate when she was a little girl in Goa. And so it reminds her of her childhood and her summers. And so Mm -hmm. she would make this dish. And let me explain this to you and how it happens. You have to take a bevy of spices. So it's cumin, turmeric peppercorns, Kashmiri chilies, Mm -hmm. um, and coriander seeds. And you put them in a Mm -hmm. skillet and you dry roast them, right? Until they Mm -hmm. have this Mm -hmm. this perfect toast on them and they release these essential oils and you can smell it. And the entire house smells so fragrant. And then you let them Mm -hmm. cool down and you put them into a spice grinder and you get the Caldine spice blend. And then once you have that blend, you then start on the coconuts. Now in Goa, it's just lined with coconut trees, right? The locals there do Mm -hmm. everything with coconuts. They drink the coconut water, they make dishes out of the coconut cream, they use the husk, Mm -hmm. um, they use the shell to make mats. I mean, just everything. It's the most wonderful fruit. Um, And so what happens with this coconut is my mom would sit down on Sundays after she'd come home from church and she would literally sit on this little sort of wooden stool, which had a very sharp blade on it, a curved sort of blade. And she'd crack Mm -hmm. these coconuts and she would sit there and grate them until literally until mm-hmm. our hands were bleeding sometimes because they were so sharp and she'd great, 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 collect all the flesh at the bottom, put it into a cheesecloth, mm-hmm. 
And then she would squeeze as hard as she could and get the first press of coconut cream. And then she'd add a little tiny bit of water. I still remember this whole process. And she would get coconut milk. Then she'd squeeze Mm -hmm. again, a little more water, and she'd get light coconut milk. And so she'd get the three presses, the cream, the milk, and the light milk. And then she would add it to this wonderful fragrant spice blend that she had made. And so at that particular moment, the house smelled just perfect. And it was that Sunday Mm -hmm. afternoon go and Mm -hmm. lunch of Caldine. Um, And the next two things that my mom did were so special. She would add the most wonderful, beautiful fish to it um, that she'd get fresh from this fishmonger. And the fishmonger would show up knowing my mom was making it on Saturday, she'd show up. And my mom would always say to her, hey, could you please make sure you add some extra shrimp in there? And she'd say, oh, you're making Caldine. And she goes, yep, it's for Cherie. Because I would literally (laughs) sit on the table. I would eat my entire lunch. And then I would eat everybody else's shrimp from the table. I was two. This is what I've been told. Um, So even then I was stealing food. But my mom just sort of made this dish because I Mm -hmm. think it was therapy for her. She was able to be with her thoughts while she was grating this coconut, get all her aggression out, I guess. But then she would squeeze Mm -hmm. the lead out of this coconut and this beautiful milk would come out and it would add the most perfect note to complete this dish. And the best part about this dish is at the very end, you add just a little bit of vinegar to it. And in Goa, you have Goan vinegar, which comes from the coconuts, right? They make coconut toddy. Mm -hmm. But it adds that perfect note of spice, sweet, from the coconut milk and then the vinegar mm. and a little bit of salt and you have this perfect umami to this dish. It's just, it's amazing mouth. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Sounds so, amazing. yeah. So now you can imagine amazing. me being in Maine like 30 years later and I can smell this dish. I know what it's supposed nice. to taste like and I'm going to the food store and I can't find it anywhere. I can't find anything that comes even close to it in terms of a coconut curry or whatever in a jar. Right. And so I'm in my kitchen and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Like Todd said before, right? When you can't find something, you create it. Um, You solve the problem. So I went into Mm -hmm. my kitchen and I decided that I was going to recreate my mother's caldine. And uh, by then it was a little too late. She had passed. And so I didn't have her to give me sort of that walk through on the phone kind of thing. It was all literally Mm -hmm. all visual memory and taste. And I asked my aunt who was back in Goa and I said, could you please send me the recipe? And she sent me the recipe through WhatsApp and I took the recipe and I literally went through it, made it dry run. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And it was so good. We celebrated my mother uh, with it on Mother's Day and we bought lobsters Mm -hmm. here in Maine and I made lobster caldine and she would have probably literally just been in heaven about it. Um, wow. we can afford lobster back in, in India, but, um, yeah. you know, I, I decided it's I can't, beautiful. yeah, I said, I can't just like have this be a one-time wonder. Like I need more mm-hmm. of this in my life. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I went on this quest to find a way to take that caldine that I'd made that day from that recipe and make it shelf stable. And by doing that, mm-hmm. I was then able to put it in a jar and have it handy for me anytime I wanted it. Just open the jar, pour, and it was all done. The work was all wow. done. And that's right. how the brand was born for the summer sauces. I'm not kidding. That was it. <laughs> wow. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. What a, it's just, it sounds like just a work of art. I mean, it literally is, uh, is an art of w- what your mom did. And then, you know, you, you picking up that, that artwork. 
just it really was. Um, yeah, kind of, I felt like in a way I went from not knowing how to make any Indian food <laughs> to moving the needle to the other end where I'm now teaching people mm-hmm. in Maine how to make Indian food at Stonewall Kitchen and I'm curating mm-hmm. regional food series for Stonewall and, you know, I'm I'm basically have launched a, a Simo sauce line and I'm trying to make people's lives easier where they can literally get all that flavor profile of that region mm. from a different part of India, whether it's the north, the south, or the west, et cetera, in that jar and save them a ton of time without compromising any flavor, right? And really transporting them back just with that mm. one opening of the jar and you smell it and it's like, oh my God, that's what it's supposed to smell like. That for me okay. is such a driver to do what I do. Mm. <laughs> right. uh, that's what keeps me going when I'm simmer saucing mm. at 2 a.m. So, Wow. That's, that's, yeah. That is such an amazing process. And I can totally see how that entire process would be an experience unto itself before yeah. you even have the first bite or, or played up the first you know, batch of it, that just the experience of, of, of making that is could just be it, it kind of just a joy in and of itself mm-hmm. you know that that's that's an amazing I'm so thing. excited I just can't wait to try it I, I'm as soon as we get off this today I'm going to buy all the sauces <laughs> Kim Kim made the mistake of not eating before recording <laughs> a food podcast once again Yes. So you say on your website that Mumbai to Maine is more than sauces. It's mindfully bridging cultural divides. In your opinion, uh, what is it about food that makes that possible? And how do you feel you contribute to that? Um, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I do say that because I feel like what I've done essentially with this brand is I've put my entire journey in that jar, right? And so mm. when I share that with someone, whoever it is, sometimes I don't even know who's enjoying my sauces. I don't know what they're personally feeling in that moment when they're either cooking it up or they're opening it to take that first wonderful whiff. But I know that it's creating a moment, a connection. And I know that somehow, some way, through that jar um, of simmer sauce, I'm able to connect with them. So whether they're in you know, a part of Maine where they would have never tried an Indian dish and someone gifted it to them and they open it up and they're like, oh my gosh. And they start to learn more about India because on the back of each jar, I have an entire story as to where that sauce sort of came from, what's the inspiration for that Mm. sauce, what part of India, um, and really take them on this sort of educational, but sort of informative, fun journey before they even open the jar. Um, So when they do, they're able to to speak about it so much more eloquently and understand how much work and handcrafting went into that one jar. Um, So Mm -hmm. I do feel that food just has this power to bring people together, you know, and I've always felt that it is a, it's a huge catalyst. It kind of takes you back in time uh, like nothing else. I think food mm-hmm. has the power to do that. I think it truly is able to bring people together at a table, no matter what part mm-hmm. of the world you're from or race or creed, et cetera. If we put a dish on the table that has a lot of passion, love, and history into it, and we break bread over it, it will bring people together. I'm not saying it'll be a very productive conversation if you're if you're fighting about something, um, but you know it's been known. There's there's a reason why great world leaders break bread together. You know this is why people do that because it's a way to just to reach some sort of common understanding through a very basic yeah. element of, of food, um, and especially yeah. if it comes from your heritage, I think it's even more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love how you say it on your website. It's just, 
it's it's just beautiful it's it's a journey in a jar you're bringing him through this journey and that's just so well said well thank you i i think another thing too and i i wonder if this is part of it is that when you're especially if you're if you're sitting down to to eat with someone and it's something that you're not familiar with the openness to experience something that is completely different to you then kind of already sets your mind in much more of an open place so that then when you're talking with someone you're not you know you're not nearly as closed off as you were when you started out because you now you, you've already taken the, the step to take a, a an adventure in what you're going to taste and and mm-hmm. you know you're maybe it's a little easier to take that next step to hear what someone else has to say absolutely they always say right come into my home let me cook for you and let me feed you and nourish you. And once you know my food, mm. you know me, mm. you know, and then we can that's talk. Beautiful. I mean, I think beautiful. that's the essence of being Indian. You know, when you're in India, you cannot go into someone's house or someone's village or someone's little, you know, even if it's a small little hut somewhere, you come in, they will give you everything they have, um, even if it's just a bowl of sugar, <laughs> To leave with, um, you cannot leave someone's house or come into someone's home uh, without being gracious enough to accept what they give you and if it's a cup of chai. Um, and that's why chai mm-hmm. is so sort of, it's a conversation starter. It's a way to connect, um, you know, folks together because they truly are able to open conversation with that chai, mm-hmm. you know. So chai is, mm-hmm. is elemental to the Indian experience. Yeah. Hmm. So I wanted to ask this. So along with being, a, you know, a chef and an entrepreneur, you also host your own podcast as well as publishing a blog. First of all, how do you, how do you balance your time between everything? And second, what motivates you to share with other people? Um, yeah, that's that's a great question, Kim. And you know, I feel like I don't know if there is a balance. You know, everyone keeps saying, "How do you balance?" I'm like, I don't balance. Um, I, I just do every day what's on my list of priorities, what needs to get done. Mm-hmm. Because if I tried to find balance in everything I did, um, it would create mm-hmm. so much anxiety for me that mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to enjoy what I'm doing. So instead, mm-hmm. what I do is I look at the balance of what my priorities are. And that's what I try to find that scale in. You know, it's like, where do I, what's Mm -hmm. the tipping point? What can I let go of today? What do I absolutely have to get done? And then Mm -hmm. through that and accomplishing that for that one day, if I can find scale in that and even scale in that, then I'm, then I'm good. You know, I have a good night's Mm -hmm. rest and I feel like, okay, I did what I had to do. But truly, if I looked for, you know, balance and harmony in my life, I don't know if that's even attainable when you produce as much as I'm trying to do in a single day. <laughs> I'm a mother of <laughs> children in the middle of COVID. I work full time in a corporate job and I also I'm producing content and really valuable, yeah. wonderful, meaningful content to showcase other makers. Um, and at the same time, I'm also trying to keep up this community through my blog. And then I've launched a whole brand, right? That's like giving birth to a whole yeah. other child in our family here. So mm, we're all sure. adjusting and adapting around that. Um, and I always say to them, you know, when mom's up to two or three in the morning, you know, jarring with dad or whatever, you know, just remember that's like our little baby who needs a feeding. <laughs> we're all, we're, we're all doing what we have to do <laughs> to keep this child alive. So mom is like our it. other child in this family. We all just embrace, love it, 
uh, are sleepless for it. But, you know, you, that moment when your child comes out of diapers and you're like, oh, how did I do those last three years? How did I do that? Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. realize, oh, you just do it because you don't yeah. analyze it. You That kid needs a diaper or that kid needs a feeding. And that's how I feel with this brand. I'm like, whatever it is I need to do mm-hmm. right now, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to sit here and overthink it. And I think that's what a lot of people do. People sit and analyze and try to find balance and and chi and all that. And I'm like, you know what? When you're inspired, let that fuel your work and let that give mm-hmm. you the adrenaline you need to push through and mm-hmm. break through. And when you see what you've accomplished, you know, with that drive and, and that energy and you've literally put something out in the world that's created this force and that's really helping people, you feel like it's mission accomplished, you know? It's a great yeah. feeling. So does that answer your question? Yeah. There's no balance Absolutely. for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, just, you just got to do it. it real here, Kim. <laughs> I love it. Well, actually, I, I and maybe it's just maybe it's just me, but in listening to that, I kind of, I do see a little bit of balance in there. It's just instead of balance on the micro scale of like, oh no, in every hour I try to balance this or in every day I try and do this, it sounds like you have a, you have a balance overall in kind of the macro sense of like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this for this and then I'm going to do this over here to, you know, but it's, it's just a bigger picture rather than like, I can't focus on every day, like having balance. Are you crazy? There's some days that it's just like, there's no way to to avoid doing this until it's two 30 in the morning. You know, I think that's how a lot of entrepreneurs think too. It's just like, you just gotta, you have this vision and you have this passion and you just, you just move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always driving and keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, yeah. I totally get it. Um, and you guys do the same thing, so you know exactly what I'm yeah. what I'm doing. But to absolutely, answer, yeah. To answer your question with the podcast, um, I literally had to take a pause with my podcast because we record Mama Domain's podcast professionally here in the Booth Bay Studios. And um, with COVID, it was very difficult to get people to come into the studio and do it safely. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just decided to take a pause on it, and instead, I launched a brand <laughs> of Sibersoft, <laughs> and I figured that's something that's I fantastic. can do by myself. Uh, no. One else can produce yeah. the, the jars only I can so let's pivot that was my pandemic pivot you know mm-hmm. internally I felt like I launched this incredible gift to the state of Maine I was you know very excited to share and showcase all these makers sort of journeys and I was almost a third way through it and then COVID hit in March and I had just launched in January and luckily I'd already pre-produced mm-hmm. a whole bunch of episodes but I decided for the safety of everyone and I really wanted the experience to be you come here into my studio you really get to relax enjoy and share your story and the time's not clicking or you're not in a studio element where you have to rush out it's our studio here so I felt like that was important to the integrity of my journey in that podcast. And if I couldn't achieve it that way, I was just going to take a mindful pause and I did. So we're mm. sort of back up and running again. Um, I have Amber Lamke coming in um, in a couple of weeks to um, record her podcast for Main Grains. And it's wonderful. It feels like a new sense of normal again. Mm. Nice. Which is funny because we were just about to la- uh, to launch our brand of sauces, and then we decided to do a podcast. So we're <laughs> just the opposite. Well, there you go. <laughs> that's our full circle so, moment this morning. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the balance. There that's you go. The there you go. Is. Love it. So I will I will freely admit this is our gotcha question of the day, um, and this. I'm, I'm thinking this might be tough or it might just be really easy. I'm not sure. But if you could only have five spices in your kitchen, what would they be? 
Okay, so you're going to have to give me a pass on this one. It's going to have to be eight <laughs> things because I thought about this. This is the one thing that I woke up to this morning was what spaces could I not live without, right? So here's the yeah. thing. When I'm in a cooking class at Stonewall Kitchen and I'm, I'm looking at everybody and I say, listen, mm-hmm. there's this thing called garam masala. What is garam masala? It is sort of the most common spice blend that you're ever going to find in a home kitchen all over India, no matter how big or small your kitchen is, you're going to have a little box of it. And every single family has their own unique touch to their garam masala. The reason for that Mm -hmm. is because different parts of India call for different spices, right? So if you're in the north Mm -hmm. part of India, you're going to do a lot of cardamom and you're going to do a lot more fragrant stuff. And if you're down in the south, they're all heat. It's all about the chilies in Kerala and the southern Mm -hmm. part of India. And so my garam masala that my mom used to make had these five things. And this is how I remembered it. It was the five C's. It was cumin for earthiness, cardamom for fragrance, cayenne for heat, cinnamon for like touch of sweetness, and coriander for that bright citrus note um, to Mm. kind of, you know, give it that full awesome mouthfeel. And um, Mm. those are the five that honestly, I don't think I could live without now that I cook Indian food. I think those are essential to my my pantry. Mm. That's fantastic. But I, I'm, here's I'm the just, other three. We, Are you ready for it? Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, yes. I, was, I wanted to answer your question, but here's the thing. When you cook Indian food, you just have to have these three things. One is yeah. you have to have garlic, you have to have ginger, you have to have cilantro and onions. And the reason why I say three things and I mentioned the fourth is because there are parts of India where you can literally do without garlic, onions, um, because of religious reasons, they use asafoetida, which is hing. Asafoetida, mm-hmm. when you smell it right out of the box, it smells like really stinky bad feet, uh, smelly feet, mm-hmm. uh, like a phosphorus smell to it. But when you mm-hmm. add it into Indian cooking, what it does is it transforms into these notes of garlic and onion into your cooking. And so you can actually mm-hmm. do that cooking with onions and garlic um, in certain parts of India where they really rely on hing. It's like a resin, kind of like turmeric, like a root, and it's mm-hmm. pulverized and made into a powder. And so if you ever go to an Indian spice store, any spice store, and you see asafoetida or hing, open it up and smell it. It, it will wake you up from the dead. <laughs> 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 but it's really good for you too. So yeah, so I think you need to have onions, garlic, ginger, and cilantro. Those are sort yeah. of the basics for foundational Indian cooking. And then on that, on top of that, you build that layer of the spices and then you finish right. it up with a sauce. So this, the, the reason you have Indian sauces is because you can add tomatoes to them or you can add coconut cream and that's how you end up with a gravy. And But those onions are the foundation. Just kind of like Italian cooking. You know, you yes. got to have those onions yeah. and basil mm. in there and that garlic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Usually that's how every dish starts is, oh, yeah. yeah, get some oil and you have your garlic in the pan or some onions in the pan and then everything goes on top of that. Yeah. That's yeah. true. That's totally. true. Yeah. There's a lot of commonality in cooking and people really put their shoulders down and relax when I start saying, listen, it's just like when you're making spaghetti sauce. You start with your onions and your olive oil and then you add your garlic mm-hmm. and you add your basil and your oregano, whatever. That's exactly what this is. That's what we're accomplishing today. We're just doing it with an Indian mindset. So, you know, mm. as soon as you tell them that, I think people really understand. It's like, wow, that talk about bridging cultural divides. That's it mm. <laughs> right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're applying heat. 
it's, yeah. it's kind of the, you know, it's just in a different way or a different method for each, each dish and each different culture. But yeah, you're, it's the same so sort cool. of stuff. Yeah. Heat, um, flavor for sure. Yeah. And don't forget that fat and the salt as well. Cause that's always, you know, somewhere along the line. So you also, as you mentioned a couple of times, you partner with Stonewall Kitchen and uh, you'll be teaching some classes this fall. Uh, what could you, what could someone expect in one of your classes? Yeah, so actually Stonewall Kitchen um, approached me, I think it was 2018, and they said, hey, would you like to teach an Indian cooking class here? And I said, no. I said, I'd like to teach an entire series of Indian cooking at Stonewall Kitchen, and I'm happy to create and curate the entire thing for you. And so that's kind of how our relationship started, um, you know, back in 2018. And ever since then, I've been so, you know, sort of dedicated to making sure that when I take that two-hour trip back and forth to York at their headquarters and their kitchen school there, that, you know, it's my time to really educate. Um, I feel like I'm a cultural ambassador. So when you come into one of my Mm. classes at Stonewall Kitchen, here's the first thing you're going to experience is just this incredible flavor blast that comes at you when you walk in because I've been cooking since 8 a.m. with the crew. And this Mm -hmm. is the anomaly about Stonewall Kitchen cooking classes. You don't cook. You sit there. And you're fed. <laughs> so you sit. <laughs> they give you the most warm welcome. You come in, you sit down. They have everything laid out for you in terms of, you know, your glass, your pencil, your cooking pamphlet. And, you know, they serve you coffee and tea. And you can shop in the beautiful gift store before you even come in. And then you sit down. I put on my microphone. We have this big giant screen on top of me. And I essentially cook a four-course meal for them in real time. And they get to watch me do it. And it's very conversational. It's very much, you know, storytelling. And while I'm doing that, this incredible staff that have been cooking with me since 8 a.m. are plating everything that we have now cooked since 8 a.m. at 1130 to them while I'm cooking it in real time. So the fun part about this is they get to eat, learn, watch, and enjoy, you know, the entire experience. And they walk out of there feeling like they can actually go home and now replicate it and do it because they have a packet with them. They know exactly what it was supposed to smell like, what it was supposed to look Mm -hmm. like. They know the backstory on it. And so believe it or not, when they walk out of there, they're inspired. And that's the most Mm. important thing I feel needs to come out of that class is accessibility and inspiration because they've got the methodology, you know, they watched me make it. They know exactly where to go find all the spices because I let them know, go to Scordo, go to Scordo online. Um, Scordo is a store here in Maine, a beautiful spice store, but so much more. It empowers the home cook. And so they walk out of there really feeling like they've got all the tools necessary to go home and have Indian night, you know? And I always tell them, listen, Mm. if you don't want to go through all of this, don't worry about it. Just go buy one of my sauces, open the jar and sit down to dinner in 10 minutes and it's all done. So I love it. You have just laid out the perfect formula for a cooking class for Kim because she's looking at me like, oh, we're going to that. Uh, oh, yeah. We're going to that. <laughs> so how do people sign up? Do they just go online to sign up for that class? They do. You can go right to StonewallKitchenCookingSchool.com okay. so and you can look up my name, Cherie Scott. I'm one of their guest instructors there. And all the classes that I'm teaching for the entire season will show up and you can pick any one. You can pay for it on the spot and you can actually cancel two days before if anything comes up in your chaotic, crazy life. Um, and that's, that's nice. a good. Yeah. You feel like you – and I've seen classes where literally you have an entire bridal party in there enjoying with champagne and and they have a blast you know Mm. and it's amazing those classes are like the most wonderful therapy because you come in there and it's a sensory overload but there's Mm. so much storytelling involved and you don't realize it's more storytelling than actually learning how to cook and that's why I feel Mm. like people love food because 
there's so much nuance to it. It's never about just what you're eating. It's always about the story behind what you're making. Yes. And one, yep. that's why brands are successful that are able to successfully share their story um, because people care more than just about food anymore. They want to know the story behind it, your mission, uh, your vision, you know, and kind mm-hmm. of like your roadmap, right? And then they'll jump on board sure. and they'll join you on that journey all the way to the finish line. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So I, I love to ask this because um, just we get so many different um, responses and answers, but how would you say you define success? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I think success to me is being able to achieve a goal, but doing it with kindness. And I, I don't know mm-hmm. if that sounds trite or comes across sounding trite, but I'm going to tell you something. There are times when you can achieve a goal and you can do it at sort of in any way, shape or form and you get there, mm-hmm. but you might have trampled over people to do it or you might have elevated mm-hmm. people while you're doing it. And mm-hmm. that's part of leadership, right? So for me, mm-hmm. success is even if I'm working with one other person to achieve that goal, how I get there and the success of it all, in quotes, you know, if you achieve that success, isn't worth it to me. If I didn't go through that journey with kindness, whoever, whomever's mm-hmm. lives I touched or inspired or elevated or lifted up through getting there is actually more important to me than actually getting there. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yep, yeah, absolutely. totally. That's good leadership. Yeah. yeah and the, sure. honestly, that is my one goal in everything I do. <laughs> if I can't do it with mm-hmm. kindness and, and really being mindful of making sure that mm-hmm. I'm not just lifting myself up, but really collaborating and bringing other people into the fold and lifting them up and doing it. And that's why when I introduce, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm selling my sauces um, on social media, I'm very much about telling that specialty store owner's story. Because to me, mm-hmm. they've given me a gift. They've given me space. Mm-hmm in their home, in their store. That means the world to them, mm-hmm. that they've put every dollar, every cell, every <laughs> everything they have into that store. And they're giving me shelf space, which is huge. They're saying, here, welcome to my home. I'm going to lift you up and put you on my shelves. Mm-hmm. Here's your work. And I'm going to share it that. with the world. And so for me, that moment of saying, yeah, I've gone into partnership with say, you know, Great East Butcher there with Tiffany, you had her on your podcast. That was a big moment for me. Mm-hmm. She reached out to me and said, hey, I'd love to have your sauces and said, oh my God, I'd love to support a female founder and a butcher. That was exciting mm-hmm. to me. And I was like, I'd yes. love to be a part of your story. And so when I talk about building cultural divides, I truly mean it. Like every opportunity I, I have to share my brand and lift others up, put my light on them while I'm going on this journey, it's very exciting. It makes it much more mm-hmm. meaningful, actually. Absolutely. Mm. It's beautiful. Now, the next question is is a bit of a, not a twin, maybe a cousin to that, <laughs> uh, one that we, we, we like to ask, mostly because it's, it's inspiring to us. But who or what inspires you, either personally or professionally or both? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Uh, you guys definitely had them all lined up this morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what inspires me? My parents, um, my husband, my family, mm-hmm. um, they inspire me. And the reason I say this, I know it mm-hmm. sounds, you know, I feel like the people you surround yourself with in your absolute closest circle are very much a reflection of who you are because you've chosen to mm-hmm. keep them around you, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so when I watch how my parents as immigrants literally gave everything up 
when they were ready to retire mm-hmm. and moved over here to the West mm-hmm. and cashed in every penny they had to enable us and to basically be waymakers for my sister and I to go have this life. They didn't know what we were going to make with our lives, but they just knew it was better on this side. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Like, I, can you think of anything more selfless? Like I, I, no. as a parent and you know, I think about the fact now, if I were trying to do that for my children, would I really do that? I mean, would I really just pick up and move to New Zealand and say, okay, let's start from scratch and give my kids? I don't know. I would have to ask myself that question, but they didn't ask that question. They just got on Mm. it. They did it. And so when I think about, you know, who inspires me, that inspires me. And I'm like, if they could give everything up without knowing what was on this side and just take that leap, pack their lives up in 12 suitcases and move. Mm. If you can do that, I can get through this. I can build a brand. I can, Mm. you know, Mm. basically live out this dream that they had to see their children thrive and flourish and and realize their full potential, right? So I think that's Mm. really important. And another one I want to give a shout out to is my husband, Guy. He is... Like you guys, he works a full-time job. You know, he's been watching my kids during COVID so I can work full-time during the day and then he programs at night. But in the middle of all that, you know, he's supporting my brand and he's there for me. And I want to make sure people understand, like, everyone says, oh, how do you do this? I'm like, I don't do anything. I do it mm. with the help of those who are around me. And it's very important mm. to, to give credit to those who enable your work and enable you to do the best what you do at that level. And that's why I say that people inspire me, the people who are literally with me side by side on this journey, who don't ask for any credit, who don't ask for any thanks, but they're with me at 4 a.m. jarring sauces. They're with me at, <laughs> you know, at 8 a.m. putting labels on them and sending them out, you know, and that kind of, you know, um, support. Um, is inspiring to me. It makes me want to be the best version of myself as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as a mother, and mm-hmm. as a wife, um, and as a daughter it's to my beautiful. parents. Yeah. Yeah, that is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, Sheree, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. We, yeah. we know that you are very busy, as, you, as, as we all are, but you especially with, uh, with everything you have going on. And uh, congratulations on the success that you've had. And, and we're anxiously awaiting more success, which is Absolutely. sure to come. We wish yeah. you great success in everything you're doing right now and what you're going to be doing in the future. I'll be sure to include in the show notes a link to your blog and podcast, as well as a link to the, the classes that people can sign up to at Stonewall Kitchen. Uh, be sure to look for Mumbai to main sauces and uh you know definitely make sure you read the blog because i was going through there and oh my goodness the photos that you do are outstanding i was like i want to lick my computer screen this is not good (laughs) (laughs) but it's a great blog and and great storytelling in there so everyone should check that out and and be sure to check out mumbai domain Thank you so much, Todd and Kim. Thanks for inviting me. And I just want to end on one high note here is, you know, I am basically going to be selling these sauces nationwide as of August 1st. And so right now I'm only selling in Maine online um, and shipping out in Maine. Uh, And of course, at the specialty stores that are listed on my site under where to buy. So please go support these wonderful local specialty retail stores um, that are giving so many different um, makers here in Maine, tastemakers in Maine, a chance to... um, you know, share the best of their work and basically just enrich this state on this food scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so mumbadomain.com and check out where to buy, support local, uh, keep it yes. local, right? Yay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely check out this podcast. I love that you guys feature so many local makers. And, um, and also please do, um, you know, make sure you think about 
supporting local at the holidays this year because um, it's wonderful to be able to share the best that the state has to offer with the rest of the country. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for just being such an inspiration, just an incredible leader. This has been a, just a treat to have you here yes. today. So I know. This definitely. has been fun, right? We've talked spices all morning. This is great. Love it. <laughs> I know. I'm, Kim's going to have breakfast. I'm going to have second breakfast. I'm, I'm, you, I'm essentially a hobbit today. That's what's going to happen. Love it. Love well, it. Thank well, you very much, Sheree. Thanks, guys. It was, it was a great time. Thank you again to our sponsor, Fabian Oil. Be sure to contact them for all your propane and heating oil needs using the information in the show notes. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.